I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. These were some of Brother Hagin's famous scriptures, favorite scriptures. He would uh, preach on these over and over and over again in healing school, day after day after day. And um, uh, some people um, will get to the place where they hated to hear him say, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, refer to these scriptures in Proverbs 4, just like they didn't like him to say something about Mark chapter 5 or Mark chapter 11, talking about the famous faith scriptures of the woman with the issue of blood. But there are some things here that... Uh, uh, well, I'll speak to my own case. There were things here that I failed to see year after year after year reading and hearing these verses. And then one day, after spending some time praying in other tongues, the Holy Ghost just took me here. I, I, wasn't, um, at least I wasn't aware that I was praying about it. I wasn't praying about a message. I wasn't praying for anything other than just uh, edifying myself and then letting the Holy Ghost take me where he wanted to go. But, um, but he took me to Proverbs chapter 4, and he showed me some things about this. One aspect of Proverbs chapter 4, these verses, that, um, that really made a difference in me personally. Made a difference in my um, walk of faith. Made a difference in the way that I receive from God. And so I'm going to share that with you, if that's okay. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning verse 20. My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health, the word of God is health, to all their flesh. Now, verse 23 goes along with it. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Now, the word heart here, or or the, the heart that's being spoken of here, obviously, is the spirit of man. So he says, keep your heart, guard your spirit, attend to your spirit, make sure that you put spiritual things first. Keep your spirit with all diligence, for out of it, out of your spirit, are the issues of life. Now, what issues of life is he talking about? Well, he just referred in verse 22 to to life and health, to those that find the truth of the word. So health would have to be one of the issues of life that come from your spirit. One of the spiritual issues that God has made available to you has got to be healing. Now, we know, and I I trust that you know this, you should, most of you are regulars here, and so you know that we've uh, looked at the, the ministry of Jesus And of the 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, about 75% of them, the people that were healed, were healed on their own faith. We know furthermore that James chapter 1 says that a man that doesn't ask in faith should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Furthermore, James said in chapter 5, verse 14, he said, the prayer of faith saves or heals the sick. Right? So if this healing issue that's being spoken of, comes by the word, he's got to be talking about the operation of faith. Therefore, these four characteristics that he identifies are characteristics or elements of faith. Let's look at them beginning in verse 20. My son attended to my words. A man that's in faith, a faith-filled spirit attends to the word of God. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. A man that's operating from his spirit in faith is inclining his ear to the word. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Now, this is the one I want you to see. This is the one I want to talk to you about. A man that's in faith, or we could just say it this way in a general sense, faith sees the answer. I want to talk to you about the eye of faith. The eye of faith. If you want to turn there, you can, but I trust that you know it well enough for me just to remind you. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the church. And I think it's about verse 16. Paul prays. That God would give unto the church, the, the church at Ephesus, and of course it doesn't just belong to them, it belongs to all of us. 
that he, would, that he prayed that God would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation. Now, revelation means you see something, doesn't it? I mean, if something is revealed to you, you see it. Now, sometimes we use the word see in a specific way, and sometimes we use it in a general way. But whichever way you want to use it, it always applies to revelation. Revelation can't come without some kind of seeing. Now, it may be seeing from a standpoint that you come to the knowledge of something that you didn't have, and all of a sudden, like we say, oh, I see it. Well, we don't say, we're not saying we see it like we can look at the back of the room and see the flags on the wall. What we're saying is we've come to the understanding of something. Our spiritual eyes are opened or the eyes of our understanding are opened so that we see and recognize something that we didn't see before. So he prayed that, we would, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Where's the only place you're going to get knowledge of God? Isn't that from the word? Every other bit of knowledge you might ever receive from God has to be based on the word of God or it's not reliable. So Paul is literally praying that God would give unto the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God through his word. In other words, he goes on in verse 17, the eyes of our understanding. Another translation says the eyes of our spirit. Again, he's talking about man living from his spirit rather than from his flesh. He's talking about operating in faith. He's talking about walking in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So he's saying the eyes of our spirit, literally the eye of faith, would be enlightened that we would know certain things. And then he mentions three things. To know the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. Paul is praying that God would open the eye of faith, our eyes of faith, so that we'd see what we're supposed to see. There are... um, Well, let me go at it this way. We know that the Bible says to let the word of God sink into your heart. The Bible instructs, God instructed Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So we know right off the bat that meditating has something to do with confessing the word, right? In other words, it's not some Eastern meditation where you sit in some cross-legged position and hum. Here's, you know, Christians worldwide get freaked out by the idea of meditation. Well, most of the Eastern religions and then most of the goofball religions that talk about meditating are talking about and and, uh, instructing people to empty their minds. That's not a big jump for a lot of people, but nevertheless, that's a dangerous thing to do because if if you empty your mind, then the first voice you're going to hear is the devil because he tries to force his way in. That's not what meditating, that's not what Bible meditation is. Bible meditation is not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with his word. How do you do that? By speaking it. By speaking the word of God. We know also that speaking the word of God is a necessary element of faith. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 verse 23. Therefore uh, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So notice the two aspects. The two elements The two operations of confession. One is to put the word of God into your spirit. The second is for the word of God to come out of your spirit. Now, meditating in the word of God in the the context that we're talking about. I I didn't finish quoting Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I better do that. This book of the law or the word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after you become a doer of the word, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want good success in the area of healing. Good success in the area of healing is walk in health. And that comes from meditating in the word. But the meditating in the word and the operation of the confession of the word in your life is to put the knowledge of God's word there. But there comes a point in time where that knowledge of God's word has to take root and come out of your spirit. Not be put into your spirit any longer, but to come out of your spirit. And that's what produces results. For example, Mark chapter 11. Jesus is on the road between Jerusalem and Bethany. He sees a fig tree. It's got leaves on it. Leaves are a sign that the figs are there. It's time of the year for the figs to grow and figs to be uh, available for eating. Jesus walks up to the fig tree and sees that it only has leaves and has no fruit. So Jesus speaks he curses the fig tree he said no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever now let me ask you a question is jesus putting something into him or is he come is something coming out of him now why i think we could all agree that something comes out of jesus the next morning they walk by there and the disciples call to his attention that the fig tree is dried up from the roots why didn't jesus have to confess something to make it happen Why is it that he's not having to meditate on something so that he develops some kind of power over some period of time so that then miraculous works take place? Because he's put the word into him already. In other words, Jesus was in a position that the word of God was ready. The storehouse was uh, available. The power of God was in effect. And all he has to do is release that power. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd be the the way that I'd want to live every day of my life. Jesus did live every day of his life that way. Well, if he did and he told us to do the same works that he did, then we could do the same thing as him, right? In other words, there comes a point in time, and I'm not trying to bring anybody under condemnation. I don't know what your point in time is. I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but there comes a point in time where the word of God should have enough contact with our spirit to take root so that the word is then coming from us rather than going into us. On any given subject or any given circumstance. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think what happens a lot of times. Is that people fail to recognize. That there are two different operations of confession. One is to put the word of God into your heart. The other is the word of God coming out of your heart or spirit. And as a result. Confession becomes a ritual. It becomes something we just do because we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to confess the word. But folks, there's a reason why you're supposed to confess the word. It's not just confession for the sake of confession. It's confessing to, put, to plant the word of God into your spirit so that then it can come out of your mouth with power. I'm going to have to go at this three or four different ways because I can see it a lot better than I can say it. But I hope you're getting the point. But if we don't recognize that there are two aspects, it's just like anything else. There's two sides to a coin. There are two sides to the confession coin. One is confessing so that the word of God takes root into your heart. The other is confessing the word of God from your heart. And it's when it's from your heart, that's when it's filled with power. Because now it's not just words on a page that you're repeating to yourself. Now it's something that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. So here's the big question. Here's the million dollar question. What makes the difference between the word of God going in and coming out? What makes the change between the word of God going in to empower you and the word coming out of your spirit with power? One produces results in you. The other produces results in the earth. What makes the difference in those two? Folks, very simply, you say what you see. 
The reason Paul's praying for the church for their eyes to be opened is because if we don't see it, we'll never walk in it. And that's easily understood. The Bible says without equivocation that everybody that's ever made Jesus the Lord of their life has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you know as well as I do, hopefully, hopefully you're not in this category, but you know as well as I do that many, maybe even most Christians, never accept the righteousness that is theirs. It's a fact. It's an established eternal reality, but they never accept it. Why do they never accept it? What makes the difference between those that accept their righteousness and those that go through life feeling unworthy? What they see. What makes the difference between what people, one person that speaks what the word of God says as a course of their life, as a natural course of their life, and somebody else that's just speaking according to circumstances? What they see. So here, folks, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, what is it, verse 21, I guess. The first part of verse 21 where it says, let them not depart from before thine eyes. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Let them, my words, not depart from thine eyes. He's saying, see yourself with what the word says is yours. See it. See it. Why? Because if you don't see it, then no matter how much you say it, it's going to be the word going in to empower you. But it's the seeing. It's having your eyes open to see what's yours, that that's when the word of God comes out of you with power to accomplish what it was sent to do. You remember in the Old Testament, God said, my word shall not, accomplish, shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish. That's what I sent it to do. How is it that God can always say without question, without exception, my word always accomplishes what I sent it to do? Because he's speaking it from himself. He sees it. He knows this is the way that it works. It accomplishes the purpose that he sent it to accomplish. It prospers in the area to which he sent it to accomplish. The word of God concerning healing always works from God's end. Why? Because he spoke it from himself. Why does the word of God not always work from the Christian or the believer's end? Because many times we're not saying it from ourselves. We're saying it because we know that we're supposed to. We know that it's the pattern, the principle. We know that we heard uh, stories and testimonies of other people that were healed when they confessed the word. But we're not saying it from ourselves. What makes the difference between the person that says it from within that they know that they know that they know fully persuaded that what God had promised he's able also to perform and the person that's just speaking the word. What's the difference? What they see. What they see. Turn with me to to, uh, Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 tells us about the children of Israel as they were headed toward the promised land. Well, actually, they've already, um, just a few chapters before, they had come to the edge of the promised land and failed to go in, failed to possess the land. And so now they're starting off into the wilderness. That was not a real good time for them, for the nation of Israel. And it says, what are we going to start here? Let's um, let's start in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass, or that means to circle or go around the land of Edom, And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now, folks, please understand how the devil works. The devil wants to discourage you through circumstances. So what happens when people get discouraged through circumstances? I know this with things that uh, that I've had to deal with myself and with dealing with people and and so forth for for almost the 30 years that we've been pastoring the church. 
I know that one of the toughest things to deal with is somebody that's been discouraged because of the length of time something is taken or is taking. It's always time. Anybody can handle uh, an affliction. Anybody can handle a, a problem that the devil throws up at them. It's when the problem continues. That's when you get discouraged. I mean, we understand. The Bible's pretty clear about telling us what the, what the pattern is, how things work. We know the devil's not going to leave us alone when we step out on the word, right? But it's when it continues, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that's when it gets tough. That's what's happening here. The soul of the people was much discouraged by the way, through the circumstances. That's what the devil tries to do. The only reason the devil tries to bring circumstances or afflictions into your, into your life, he couldn't care less about how much money you've got. He's not concerned about your money. He couldn't care less whether your body aches or not. He's got eternal and he's got spiritual things that he's trying to do, things behind the scenes. He's not that concerned about the natural realm. The reason that he operates in the natural realm is because it's a way to affect or influence you spiritually. It's not about the things you see. It never is. But if the devil can get you to thinking it's about the things that you see, then that's where he can discourage you. So the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Verse 5. And what happened? And the people spoke against Moses. Why? Because of what they saw. They're speaking according to what they see. And the people spoke against Moses and uh, against God and against Moses, saying, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, but our soul loatheth this light bread. We don't like this manna. We understand God's keeping us alive with it, but we don't like it. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, here's one of those times that Dr. Young talks about where the Old Testament was translated in the causative sense. The verbs of the Old Testament were translated in the causative sense when they're really in the permissive sense. God didn't send the fiery serpents. What does God need fiery serpents for? You remember the people that spoke against Moses? You remember, um, oh, the guy's name escapes me, but when Moses was uh, delivering the word of God, there was a group of people that stood up against Moses. You remember the ground opened up and swallowed them? Why would God waste time with snakes? If God's interested in getting a hold of somebody, there's a lot quicker way. God's not sending the snakes in. As a matter of fact, if you look at other scriptures, you'll find out that the land, the land of the wilderness, was full of these fiery serpents or poisonous snakes. And it was the protection of God that kept the people from being bitten every day of their lives, every day that they journeyed through the wilderness. But you'll find that the only times that they ever had any problem with the, the, the elements of the land were when the people rebelled against God and spoke against him. It's their own action, and I'll prove it to you. Don't take my word for it. Just keep it in mind. I'll prove it to you in just a few verses. It's their own actions that have allowed the work of the enemy, the curse upon the earth, to come in and avoid the protection that they had uh, provided to them by God when they were operating in his will. So the Lord allowed the fiery serpents just like he'll allow you to do anything that you want to. He'll allow you to walk outside and, uh, and blaspheme. He'll allow you to walk out and, and uh, uh, live by your, your circumstances, deny the truth of the word of God, deny the healing power of God. He'll let you do whatever you decide to do. But you're the one deciding it, not him. That's what's happening here. They decided because they got discouraged due to the circumstances, due to the things that they saw, they decided they'd speak against God and speak against Moses. And the end result was the fiery serpents were able to penetrate the hedge of protection that God had had around them beforehand. 
And they bit the people and many of the people died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Now, if God's the one behind this, why are they talking about their sin? If God's the one that's causing this, if they were minding their own business and God just sent fiery serpents because God sometimes can be bad, you know, so he has bad days. If that's what's going on here, then why didn't the people say, Moses, you've got to talk to God. This isn't right. But notice their confession. Notice what they realized. They said, Moses, we have sinned. We're the cause of this and we need help. Do you see it? Moses, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, he's going to do, he's going to answer the prayer, but notice how he does it. The Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that, went, that, everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if any serpent had bitten any man, if a serpent had bitten any man, that when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Can I ask you a question? What is a brass serpent or a wood serpent or any other type of serpent, no matter what it's made of, what does that have to do with healing? Is God into tokens? I mean, if that's the case, then maybe we ought to just go get us some kind of religious artifact hang it in our house and be safe forever is that how it works no it's not how it works jesus said in john chapter third uh, john chapter three verses 14 and 15 jesus said just as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so also must the son of man be lifted up in other words jesus says when he's here on the earth jesus says many hundreds almost a thousand years later well a couple of thousand years later from when this occurs. Jesus says this that's happening in Numbers chapter 21. Moses making a serpent of brass. Is a type of me on the cross. And notice what the requirement was. For people to be not only forgiven from their sin. We have sinned. We spoke against Moses. We spoke against God. And also healed. Notice what the requirement is. The requirement is to look at the type of Jesus. On the pole. Now notice. It comes down to what they see. Notice what does not said in this story. Notice God does not say, all right, Moses, tell the people, I'm getting rid of the snakes. You'll not see any more snakes now. Don't worry about that. But make sure that they look at this serpent of brass on the pole. There's no indication whatsoever, none, that God is already taking care of the snakes. Which means when they're looking at the serpent on the pole, the serpent of brass on the pole, they're having to look away with the sna- at the snakes that may still be at their feet. Circumstances haven't changed. When God instructs Moses to make the serpent of brass and to put it on the pole and then instructs the people to look or see what the work of God is or that type of Jesus on the cross, no circumstance has yet changed. Yet he instructs the people that is a type of the, the new covenant yet to come, the answer is in what you look at or what you see. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. See yourself with the answer, in other words. See yourself with the answer. Folks, is this making any sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? What you see is everything. Because so many times people are just trying to confess the word, confess the word, confess the word, confess the word, confess the word. And they think if they say it long enough or say it enough times, all of a sudden it's like jackpot. 
bells, whistles. All of a sudden, God says, you have finally hit the magic number. Here's your healing. It's not how it works. The purpose for confessing the word is for it to take root in your heart so that you see it. And then when you say it, it comes out with power. And once you see it, just like Jesus cursing the fig tree, he didn't say, he didn't go through saying, I believe the tree is dead. 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 He said it one time and it carried enough power to cause the tree to dry up from the roots overnight. Now, if Jesus told us to have the same kind of faith as him, then that's the way it can work for us too. I'm convinced that so many times people that get discouraged because they've been confessing the word, been confessing the word, have not yet come to the place where they've crossed over. They're still putting the word in, but they think that it's coming out. And that discourages them. Brother Hagin used to make a statement that, that brought me a lot of condemnation before I grew up. He said this. He said, if I pray about anything and don't get an answer immediately, talking about anything for himself, he said, if I don't get an answer immediately, I start changing. Well, I'm thinking, man, I've been praying about stuff for a long time. And you're talking about getting instant results. He used the example of something that happened to him when he was on the road and and there was um, symptoms, heart symptoms that came against his body. He said that, uh, that he prayed and claimed his healing and so forth. And he said, I was no better. A day later, I was no better. So I knew I hadn't made contact. I'm thinking, dear God, one day is the way you know that you haven't made contact with God. If that's the case, I've never made contact with God. I don't know of anything that I've ever gotten in a day. And it really bothered me, really bugged me. But what, what Brother Hagin is saying is, He's saying, in in the terminology that I'm using tonight, he's saying, I've already crossed over the line. I'm not confessing the word anymore to make it a part of my heart. I know that when I speak the word, it comes out with power. So if I speak the word of power and don't get some kind of instant results in a situation between me and God, then I know something is blocking the, the operation of the power. And in that case, he had to make an adjustment. He had to make an adjustment where his willingness was concerned in a certain area. He was obeying God, but he wasn't willing. He was kind of complaining about it as he went. The Lord brought it to his attention. He fixed it and then received his healing. The symptoms disappeared. Folks, that's available for everybody. You can put the word of God into your heart to the point where you're ready no matter what the devil does so that the word comes out of you with power. But it comes down to what you see. You'll never get there if you don't see it. You'll never get there if you don't see it. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Here's another example of the same type of thing, but it uses different terminology, different words to describe it. Talking about the faith of Abraham. Abraham is identified as the father of faith. And Romans chapter 4 tells us in a capsule form, Paul tells us about Abraham's faith that brought him the answer. Now you remember what the story was. God appears to Abraham when he is 75 years old and he makes certain promises to him. One of the promises is that he'll have children. I'll make you the father of nations. He even says, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Well, all the other promises over the period of the next 24 years, all the other promises that God made to him came to pass. God made him rich. He made him a blessing. He made him a great name. He made of him a great man, gave him a great name. Everybody in the country 
around about knew who Abraham was and had respect unto him because they knew God was on his side. They might not have known why God was on his side, but they knew God was with him. I mean, Abraham defeated um, five enemy armies, five nations worth of armies out of his household servants. You've got to figure out God's on somebody's side pretty severely when that, something like that's taking place. 300 people defeated armies of thousands. But this one promise hasn't yet come to pass. Abraham even gets to the place where he's not sure he can expect it anymore. God appears to him finally and says, okay, this time next year you're going to have a son. And Abraham says, oh, well, you know, I'm almost 100. Things aren't working like that anymore with me or Sarah. So why don't you just bless Ishmael? God said, well, for your sake I will bless him, but he's not the child of promise. Now, personal opinion. I think this is a combination of several things. Number one, if Abraham had had the child at age 75, that wasn't out of the realm of reason. I believe one of the the parts of God's plan was that it had to be impossible so that Abraham would know it was God. Just personal opinion. So I'm not going to go out here and say that Abraham's been in unbelief about a child for 24 years. I don't believe that. I believe there are some things that we believe for that happen according to God's timetable. I don't know about you, but I'm believing for the rapture. But no matter how much faith I've got in the rapture, I can't hurry it up. Now, healing is not like that. I've never known a case of healing to be like that. So don't let the devil tell you, well, that's the way it is. There's a set time for your healing to come. No, no, no. Abraham is the father of faith. He shows us the example of faith so that we can receive now. So here's the story of Abraham. Beginning in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. As it is written. Here's what is written about Abraham. God said, I have made thee the father of many nations. Now please notice the tense that is spoken. God, when God appeared to him, God said, Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations. That didn't happen for 24 years later. It was 24 years after God said that, that it took place or that it uh, was made real in his life. Yet God said, I've already done it. Well, there's a lot of opportunity in those 24 years to get discouraged about it, wouldn't you think? So I have made thee, here's what God said, I have made thee a father of many nations, now speaking of Abraham, before him whom he believed. In other words, it means literally that Abraham believed God when he said that. Now we know at age 99 he quit believing that, but he got back over on track and exercised his faith. Before him whom he believed, even God, here's God's job description, who quickeneth the dead, he makes dead things alive. You know, anytime the devil tells you it's too late for something, that means something dead needs to be made alive. Now, that may sound to some like it's an impossible occurrence or a possible thing to take place. And under normal circumstances, that would be the case, but that fits right into what God does. He makes dead things alive. Secondly, here's the second part of God's job description. God calls those things which be not as though they were. Now, do you see that phrase before him in verse 17? As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. The words before him literally means here's what Abraham imitated about God. He imitated about God dead things made alive and calling things that be not as though they were. He realized this is what God is like, so this is what I have to believe and imitate and act like. Now, Abraham didn't have the power in himself to make dead things alive, any part of his body, uh, bring any part of his body back to life. But he had the ability to believe 
that that's what God would do or was doing because it was necessary for his promise to come to pass. In other words, it doesn't matter how impossible the, the, the method seems to be. If God's made a promise to you, it has to be so. And that's where the devil seems to, to beat people up. Because they'll go to the doctor and the doctor will tell them what the circumstances are and, and what the situation is and, and that kind of stuff. And they'll come away discouraged because they'll think there's no way that it can happen. If God said it, there's no way it can't happen. Verse 18. Who, speaking of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, he had no natural circumstance to put his hope in. He couldn't look at his body and say, well... May not be what I want, but at least it's this. His body was not functioning sexually. Neither was Sarah's body functioning sexually. You can't have children without sex. How is this going to happen? He has nothing to hope in. Yet without natural hope, he believed in hope. Now, what was the source of his believing in uh, the source of his belief that brought him hope? Skip down to the phrase down a little bit lower. According to that which was spoken. What did he believe in? That he would become the father of nations. Why did he believe that would happen? Because God had spoken it. That's the only thing he had to hope in. See folks if the doctor gives up on you. You're right where Abraham was. When the doctor says there's nothing more I can do. You're right. You're in the exact right place. Because then it's God and only God. That's when you can choose. And it's a choice. That's when you choose what you're going to put your hope in. Abraham chose to put his hope in what God had promised that he would make him the father that he had made him the father of many nations. His hope was that he would become hope is always future. His hope was that he would become the father of nations. And so he based his faith or belief in what God said. I have made thee the father of nations. Verse 19 and being not weak in faith he considered. Now the word considered is interesting because the word considered literally has to do with what you look at. The word considered in the Greek means to observe fully, to behold, to consider, to discover, to perceive. In other words, what you look at. And being not weak in faith, he looked not at his own body. Now dead. Fact is, his body was dead sexually. That's a fact. No point in denying the facts and think you're in faith. He didn't deny the facts. He just chose not to look at that fact. Because truth will always trump facts. And being not weak in faith. He considered or looked not at his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not. At the promise of God through unbelief. I like this from the American Standard Version. It says yet. Looking under the promise of God. He wavered not through unbelief. But waxed strong in faith giving glory to God. In other words if he's not looking at his body. If he's choosing not to focus his attention. Remember faith sees itself with the answer. The eye of faith always sees itself with what the word of God says belongs to you. So if he's not looking at his body. Which contradicts the promise of God. that uh, The promise of God to have made him the father of nations. His body's contradicting every part of that. So he chooses not to look at it. So what is the eye of faith going to look at instead? Looking under the promise of God. He wavered not. In other words, it means that Abraham looked at what God said. And it's the only thing he had let himself see. 
That's what these people were supposed to be doing in Numbers chapter 21 when they beheld the serpent of brass on the pole. It means look and not look away. See only the serpent of brass. Do you think the people in Numbers chapter 21 that are just trying to get healed from the the poisonous snake bites, you think they have any idea about the Messiah to come? You think they understood the, the symbolic reference, the symbolism about God going to send his own son to, to die on the cross for us? You think they had any idea why it was a serpent of brass rather than a lamb? I mean, if, it, if somebody had even uh, considered or thought or had a hint that this was about the Messiah and the Messiah's work, wouldn't that be the sacrificial lamb rather than a serpent? You think anybody had any notion whatsoever that this is Jesus being made sin for us so that we could be made righteous? Of course not. Folks, it's not understanding everything that does it. It's what you choose to see. That's what makes the difference. So Abraham considered not, he looked not at his own body, which was dead when he was 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what did he look at? But looking under the promise, he wavered not. He saw only the promise and was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now I want you to notice verse 21, and being fully persuaded. How do you get fully persuaded? What is this fully pers- full persuasion that it's talking about here? What is it that it's referring to? Again, I think a lot of times people are looking for some kind of ritual, some kind of um, push this button, pull this lever. Do this enough times and it will work. Operation. Full persuasion does not come from the number of times you confess the word. What does full persuasion, being fully persuaded, what does that come from? It comes from what you see. Because somebody could confess the word forever and never have the revelation of what it means. Now, we've all had this experience. You know as well as I do that there have been verses of Scripture that you've known, that you've been confessing, that you've been meditating on or reading or whatever the case is. And all of a sudden, maybe out of the blue, maybe it's in a time of prayer or whatever the case is, all of a sudden, there's something about it that will just open up to you. And it'll be like, whoa. I've been saying that forever. I've been reading that forever. I've known that verse forever, and I never saw that. I had that experience with Hebrews eleven six, where it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe two things. Number one, that he is who he says he is. In other words, who the word claims him to be. And number two, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I was confessing that verse of scripture for months and never saw the believing in, the, in him being my rewarder. And I'm in the middle of confessing it one day, halfway up the steps in the administration building at Kenneth Hagin Ministries, in mid-step, and all of a sudden I saw, must believe that he's a rewarder. My eyes were open to that. Now, why did my eyes open to that when it should have been open to it all along? I can't answer that. I guess I was conditioned that you do things for God rather than God doing things for you. But when my eyes were open, that instant, oh, wait a minute. I see that I've only been doing half of this. I do believe God is who the word says he is, but I haven't been believing that he'd be my rewarder. I started confessing from that moment that God is my rewarder. Now I'm not doing it to put the word in. Now I'm doing it because of something I've seen and it's coming out with power. And in two weeks time, they doubled my salary at the ministry. I went from being the lowest paid, the lowest paid employee at Kenneth Hagin Ministries. 
wasn't because I wasn't worth anything. It's because Brother Hagen hired me instead of everybody else, the personnel department. And so the personnel group wouldn't touch my salary because they figured Brother Hagen said it and it's, it's what he wanted to do. Well, bless his darling heart, Brother Hagen's still living in depression days in his thinking. And so I had a depression day salary. Now you can say, well, that would have happened anyway. That was just a coincidence. You can say whatever you want to. It's too real to me to think that it was just coincidence. From the moment that I began to confess, thank you, Father, that you are my rewarder, I knew something was happening. I knew it. It was coming out of me, and it was, it was not just empty words. It was not something I was trying to make happen. I wasn't dictating what was going to happen or how, but I just knew something was taking place. And it all came about as a result of me seeing something. From that moment on, I saw myself as being rewarded from God. Changed everything about the way I was operating. In other words, I went conf- from confessing the word of God, confessing Hebrews eleven six about faith and the operation of faith and pleasing God through faith, putting the word of God into my spirit. Once I saw what it was saying, then it came out of my spirit with power. And it brought about supernatural results. I went from confessing the word of God out of obedience to what I thought God wanted me to do to being fully persuaded that something that belonged that the Bible said belonged to me was really mine. And it all came through what I saw. Let me tell you something else. I had a situation where, where healing was concerned. And uh, I was confessing, had been confessing the word for a period of time and didn't seem to be getting any results. Well, time doesn't bother me. I don't get discouraged because of the circumstances. So I just kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. And finally, I got to the place where I just got tired of making my confession. I'd get up every morning. I'd make my confession. I'd, I'd speak the word of God about my situation and, and, and so forth. And, and there were some pretty alarming symptoms for me. And uh, so I was confessing the word about it and confessing the word about it and so on and so forth. And finally, I got to the point where I said, you know, I'm tired of making this confession. And I, I realized what I was doing. It's a ritual. I'm making it because I know I'm supposed to be saying the word. Well, I've already said the word. I'm not saying this anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't rebellion. It wasn't belligerent. It wasn't anything other than I've done this. I've put the word of God into me. I know this word is true. I'm not going to be judged or be to be bound by how many times I'm saying it or what's going on or, or did I make my confession this morning? I've said it and that's it. And within 24 hours, those symptoms began to change. Now, in a situation like that, it wasn't the same as with Hebrews eleven six, where my eyes were open and I saw something I hadn't seen before. It just came to the point where I said to myself, you know, this is already done. I need to move on to other things. I made a determination within my own heart, within my own spirit. Remember the Hebrews, or uh, not Hebrews, remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse uh, 23, where it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Well, for me, that's part of keeping my heart. That's part of keeping my spirit. If I'm letting anything, even something I'm believing for, dominate my life, then I've got things out of order. And why should I have to let it dominate my life? I've already extended my faith on something that the Bible promises me. Why shouldn't I move forward? Well, that's what I did. 
And I didn't have a bad attitude toward God or toward the Word or anything else. It wasn't like, well, this didn't work, so I'm giving up on this. It was, this is at work, so why am I bothering, uh, you know, putting so much of my life and so much of my attention on it? It's just done. And within 24 hours, I got results that I hadn't had for months. See, there's a variety of ways that you can see things. But it all comes down to what you see. Let me close with this. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've got... um, I've had several experiences, different types of experiences, where things have worked in different ways. I'm always amazed at somebody that comes up with, here's how it works, and here's how it always works, and it never varies from this. Because that's not been my experience with the things of God. My experience in, uh, uh, well, I've I've found the place of being fully persuaded in different areas to work different ways. See, what I was telling you about the confession that I made concerning my healing or, or literally saying this is done, there's nothing more to confess, that became fully persuaded. That's when I was fully persuaded. I knew that I knew that I knew. Wait a minute, this is true. I don't have to keep saying it to be true. It's not true because I'm saying it. It's true because God said it. So it's true. Well, I, I've advanced in my persuasion. I advanced in the degree to which I was persuaded. But the thing with the, the believing that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, man, that came out of the blue for me. That was not a matter of progressing to fully persuasion, being fully persuaded. That was, I saw it, bang, I knew it. So I've got experiences on both sides of the coin. I've got progressive growth to full persuasion, and I've got instant event experience that caused me to be fully persuaded in another area. Paul's talking about the spirit of faith. And notice he said, verse 23, he said, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus, who shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. Now I want to put together verse 13. And verse 16 and verse 18. I'll read down through the whole things, but I'll go back and put them all together. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that means whatever problem you're in the middle of, our light affliction, this earthly life, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while, everybody say while. In other words, here's what makes things work, work out the glory of God in your life. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. It all comes back to what you see, folks. Do you see yourself with what the Word says is yours? Or are you trying to see yourself with what the Word says is yours? If you're trying, that's okay. Just realize where you are. I'm still putting the Word of God in. I'm still putting the word of God in so that it can take root into my heart. Be honest enough with yourself to say that's where I am. But don't, 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 don't. For goodness sakes, don't try to fool yourself, con yourself into thinking, no, the word of God has already taken root in my heart, and so God's not pulling his weight on this end. That's where the devil will bring you into condemnation. Folks, God never misses it on his end. 
forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen. Just like Abraham, who chose to look not at his body or the condition of his body. But at the things which are not seen. What did he look at? He looked at the promise of God. He looked at what God had said was his. For the things which are seen are temporal. That means temporary. That means subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The devil wants, to spend, wants you to spend the rest of your life looking at things that can change. He wants you to spend the rest of your life thinking that nothing will ever change when every physical and natural circumstance, every natural thing about this life is subject to change. It may be a fact. He may be getting you, trying to get you to look at the facts, look at the doctor's diagnosis or whatever the case is, but truth can always change facts because facts are subject to change. Anything of this natural world is subject to change and it can be changed with the truth of God's word. So let me read these three verses together. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. By the way, the spirit of faith that Paul is talking about here, if you read the verses preceding, he's talking about we've got the same spirit of faith that Jesus had. Your faith is just the same as Jesus. Your faith is just as real as the faith of Jesus. Your faith is just as powerful as the faith of Jesus because it doesn't originate in the individual. It originates from God's word. And that never changes. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not. Because we have the same spirit of faith. We don't give up. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish. Even though there are circumstances of this natural life. Maybe physical circumstances in your body. That you have to deal with for a temporary period. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man never gets old. He never changes. And it's that inward man that flow from him flow the issues of life. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. God's word and his promises can never change. That means they can never fail for the person who's operating in faith, for the person that sees himself with the answer. Let not my words depart from before your eyes. See yourself with the answer and don't allow yourself to see anything else. Amen.